It's Wednesday, November 2nd, and this is Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill, and joining me in studio today from Motley Fool stock advisor Andy Cross, from Motley Fool income investor James Early, and from Motley Fool pro Jeff Fisher. Gentlemen, good to see you. Chris. Good to see you, Hi, Chris. Chris. We've got news on Apple, Duncan Brands, and Open Table. But first, let's hit a little big macro. Germany reported its first rise in unemployment in a year and a half. We also got weaker than expected manufacturing numbers for the Eurozone. And yes, guys, there is still that little situation in Greece with the Prime Minister, um, who apparently is meeting with European leaders to discuss his uh, surprise referendum. Um, James, when when you look at the Eurozone, what What's your takeaway for investors? Well, Chris, first of all, I'm just hoping my feta cheese and olive oil are going to get a little bit cheaper soon. But <laughs> Aren't the, we all? the German news is interesting because it finally starts to bridge the gap between the, Greece, the Greek headlines, which have mainly been just Greek and, and continental Europe in terms of actually affecting the economy. However, the market has been braced for a recession in Europe for a while now. So I'm not as as uh, pessimistic on the stock market as, as some other people might be. I think it might be a decent time to buy because fundamentally, these countries add economic value, and that's what's going to carry them through at the end of the day. Jeff, what do you think? Yeah, as investors, we need to look ahead three years or more, which is extremely hard to do right now. But if you do that, you see a lot of strong companies at decent valuations, and they should appreciate well. But that said, it's going to be extremely volatile to get there. I love the quote that just came out from Reuters this morning which was Germany and France said to Greece, make up your mind, are you in the euro or are you out, and let us know by (laughs) mid-December. No rush. Sort of, just, a, hey, sort of a hurry up pre, and wait kind of thing. Pre-holiday gift there. That's great. So, I, you know, Chris, I think, um, I think uh, Europe is obviously a little bit of a mess right now, but there are companies out there in Europe um, and that do business in Europe that you'll be able to find very good deals with um, right now. So I think if, you're, if you are patient, like Jeff said, and you do have a three- to five-year horizon, um, especially in, in James's um, hunting grounds of dividends, you'll be able to find European stocks that are paying good dividends and will do quite well over the next few years. Greek bonds are yielding 205% today. Do you guys know that? Yeah, oh, my God. Wow. Did you buy deal, some? Yeah. I, I did not did yet, but this is a little bit yeah. tempting. I was going to say, do you want us to hurry up and finish the taping so you can go put him in order? No, he has his smartphone right there. He'll just, here, James, you can borrow mine if you need. Good idea, good idea. The Wall Street Journal has a story on how Apple has changed under new CEO Tim Cook. Uh, It includes the corporate structure, um, some divisions are being moved around. Uh, But James, what caught my eye, and probably yours as well, is that Cook is considering having Apple issue a dividend. They've never done that before. How ecstatic are you at this prospect as a dividend-loving guy? Well, look, I'm an Apple fan to begin with. So if yep. you combine Apple plus <laughs> dividend, it's you know I'm, I've got to control myself. But really, if you have that much cash, seventy-five billion, ninety billion, yeah, ninety billion, ninety billion for that long, you obviously don't know what to do with it. Obviously, paying a dividend is is the best decision. Uh, we've had rumors about this for, for a little while, so I'm not I'm not jumping out of my seat just yet. Uh, the the reason tech companies have not paid dividends is that traditionally tech has been a growth sector. Uh, dividend was a sign that you're, you're done growing, um, and, and companies didn't want to sort of acknowledge that. But we have finally gotten to the point where the tech ecosystem has grown into a number of different areas. And ironically, for a big company, Apple probably has the best argument against paying a dividend in that they, they have grown very well. But they're still so big. I don't see what they're going to buy that's not going to run into antitrust problems that they can't innovate themselves. I do think they need to open up their, their pockets and start giving that cash to the people who own it, too. Jeff, you think it's a good move? I'll say, if you want to stick a fork in Apple and, <laughs> and say its best growth is behind it, sure, start a dividend. Start paying out a dividend. 
But I, I'll, I'll take the other side of the argument and I'll say don't do it yet because dividends are, one, they're taxed twice, corporate level and then personal consumer level. Uh, dividends are windfalls for the largest shareholders, which are many Apple executives. And if you want these Apple employees to stay hungry, as Steve Jobs advised, uh, that's harder to, to get from them if they're getting millions of dollars a year just for sitting on their hands and owning owning the stock. And Microsoft's dividend, that they started that in 2003. They have a 3% yield, a 9 PE. The shares have gone nowhere since 2003. Right. Uh, I, I think Apple is more... Sure, just rub it in for the Microsoft yeah. <laughs> shareholder at the end of the table. It, it, it has kind of a rogue <laughs> personality to it, a rogue reputation. I think it should hold off on dividends. Plus, you don't know. Yeah, it's a lot of cash. But technology changes so rapidly. Who knows what they'll want to buy, James? For ninety billion? Yeah. Who knows? Well, yeah. And I'll double down on that, um, Chris. And uh, as a Microsoft shareholder and one who likes a dividend, that's great. I love. It's really get, the only thing to like about, about the stock. That's about the only thing, right? <laughs> and so Apple has such a great culture of innovation. I, I think we all love getting paid back by our companies. So it's not so much that. But when you look at Apple, the company, and their culture of innovation their sex appeal. I mean, like all that kind of stuff that makes Apple, Apple, you want to make sure that doesn't die, at least for the employees as well as for the shareholders. And I think paying a dividend at this point is a little premature. Uh, certainly Steve Jobs didn't want to go down that road. But if Cook is really considering this, uh, James, we talked a little bit about Microsoft. Um, give me a couple of other sort of tech companies that you think have executed this in a smart way. Well, first of all, just on Tim Cook, whenever you see him mentioned in the press now, it's supply chain genius Tim Cook. And anyone who's a supply chain genius is obviously not a sex appeal kind of guy. That's yeah. a logistical <laughs> aptitude I've ever saw one. So that's the kind of guy who would make a prudent decision to yep. pay a dividend in the first place. So that, that's a positive thing. Prudent. Um, ah. <laughs> Intel, in my opinion, Intel uh, has, is a company. Actually, we we have it an income investor that has sort of admitted, "Hey, look, you know, we are making a not a commodity com- piece of, of the computer, but but something that has slowed down a little bit. They pay a pretty nice yield. Oracle ha- has also instituted a yield. There is a, a, a period. These companies have not done extremely well right after initiating their payout. And I think they're they're. There's a cycling out of the the old investor base. It takes a long time for people to change, longer mm-hmm. than we think. People have come to expect tech equals growth. It doesn't always equal growth now. But Apple would, would sort of uh, bear that same burden initially. But it would be a very symbolic gesture that would help the whole industry if they would do this. What's interesting is that Apple, I think, um, to me, is much more of a consumer, as much a consumer company as it is a tech company. And obviously, there are a lot of great consumer brands that pay dividends, um, as, as, as we know. So I think as, as Apple does make this shift across the global landscape, as they continue to export more and more products to China, um, sell all over the world, and continue to develop these great products that um, so many of us use and love. Um, at some point, you know, if it continues this path, obviously the cash use will have to be put to better use than just sitting on the books right now. Um, but I, I, I'm with Jeff, and I think about um, what they're trying to do and what they want to do, and I think where they want to go and where we all are hoping they'll go as Apple shareholders, um, I, although I'm not. Um, and I think the, the, the dividend right now is probably not the best use of that cash. Yeah, I mean, let's give Steve Jobs a year. Uh, let's remember him at least for a year before we start changing what he, wants to, what he wanted Apple to do. But that said, to James's point, I, I love Intel and Oracle. They both started dividends years mm-hmm. ago. Uh, James, you're exactly right, that it takes time for investor yep. perception to change, and, and those companies are doing really well. What do you think is the likelihood that Apple institutes a dividend, maybe not immediately, but in the next three years? Hmm. I'd... I'd Fifty-fifty at thirty percent. Thirty percent. Yeah, yeah. Fairly low, I think. I'm saying actually lower than three. At least three years lower than thirty percent. Three years? Okay, I'm saying fifty percent. Yeah, no, I'm saying Mr. Cook. 
yeah, you push it out five years, I think things maybe get a little bit more interesting, but from the dividend perspective. Shares of Duncan Brands down this week. Uh, Jeff, third quarter profit was down, uh, and investors did not seem uh, too wild about the news that a second offering of stock is coming. What is the story here? Yeah, it shouldn't surprise them, though. Private equity owns 78% of Duncan stock, and they're slowly going to sell out of those shares. They're selling 22 million shares soon, and they'll still own 57% of Duncan, and they're going to keep selling shares probably every year for a number of years. Uh, the results were actually nothing to worry about, Chris. Dunkin' Donuts is not going away. <laughs> I'm not a shareholder. I'm just a lover of the product. <laughs> Revenue was up 9%. Same store sales were up. Uh, results were actually above expectations when you exclude the fees that Duncan has paid to private equity mm-hmm. and to refinance their debt. They went public to get rid of their debt, and so they're refinancing it, which they'll, they'll pay a price now, but in the long run, save money doing so. Now, you mentioned the same store sales. Uh, for Dunkin' Donuts, I think the comps were up about 6%, but for Baskin-Robbins, which Dunkin' Brands also owns, it was up about 1.7%. Should, should Dunkin' Brands look to essentially cut off the Baskin Robbins oh, part of the business, sacrilege! In the way that Wendy's love ice cream. In the way, well, so do I. But in the way that Wendy's <laughs> did with with Arby's earlier this year, is that is that something they should consider? I don't think so right now, Chris. Same store sales at at Baskin Robbins were down nearly six percent a year ago. So this is a big reverse. Well, okay. easier comp. They're up a little bit this year, um, but it's a small part of Duncan's revenue. It's only twelve million twelve million in revenue. It's very small. They're trying to revitalize it. Actually, they're they're introducing. Introducing new ice cream flavors, new technology to track sales. I don't know how that would improve the business, but and uh, single serve ice cream cakes are on the way to Baskin Robbins soon. So it's a I'm small in. part of Dunkin', but I think it it brings in incremental foot traffic. I know I yep. go there all the time to get my son a, an ice cream cone. Otherwise, I wouldn't be stepping into Dunkin'. Donuts Otherwise, you wouldn't be a good father. Um, <laughs> and then picks up a few donuts and a cup of coffee. To it's go. hard not to. Yeah, it's right. hard not to. Um, a dozen. I want to get your thoughts on sort of the, the business model at work here, because Dunkin' Donuts uh, really operates in the, in the franchise model, and certainly we've seen successful businesses do that. Uh, McDonald's, Chipotle, uh, uh, Buffalo Wild Wings, all successful in the franchise model. But Starbucks um, is more of the sort of corporate ownership route. Um, Andy, I'll just start with you. Yep. Is, is there one business model that you think is easier to execute than the other? Is, is one more of a, a red flag? Obviously, there's pros and cons on both. The, the, uh, the um, franchising, the returns on capital can be really large on that, on that business because it's so profitable. The challenge there is you lose some brand control and you run the risk of not controlling your brand, not controlling the whole experience. Starbucks has done this very well, but even Starbucks has run into troubles over the last few years until they kind of Howard Schultz came back and kind of got things back into mm-hmm. shape. So I think it really just depends on kind of what business that you want to run and how you want to run that business. Duncan, I think the way that Duncan does there is with Baskin Robbins and with Dunkin' Donuts is a really smart approach and a good use of the capital. Um, and I wouldn't expect them to, to shift from that. Jeff? Complete agreement. Look at McDonald's and how well I did. It's all about making sure that your franchisees maintain your brand equity and your quality of product. If they can do that, then it's all it's gravy. It's a it's an annuity yep. basically. Do you have uh, a coffee that you prefer between Dunkin' and Starbucks, or you can go off the board with like a Green Mountain? I don't know if there's a. We were talking earlier, Andy. You don't have one of those K cup machines, right? I do not. No, it's too too clunky too, for mine. Too bulky. Kitchen, take, yeah. Take up too much. Between room. the two, I'd, I'd go Dunkin' actually. Really? Yeah. yeah. 
I, mean, I, I always grew up with Dunkin' Donuts in this area, but, yeah. but Starbucks strikes me as an obviously superior offering if you just compare the two side by side. But Dunkin' is more practical because you get yep. food. I let, my heart is with Dunkin' Donuts, but my mind is with Starbucks. Yeah. Um, but you don't actually shop at either of those, I right? don't. I don't, I don't, I, use ca- I don't drink caffeine. I, don't, I was going to say, they, I don't think they have any kale-based yeah. products at either of those places. <laughs> and no. which, which dock are we, are we going with here? And, yeah. Ah. The funny thing is, uh, not to get too much into this, but at home I would brew Starbucks in a yeah. second. But at the, at the stores, I don't like it. Yeah. Uh, I, but huh. but as for stock, I'd buy Starbucks. I mean, Duncan, I'm, a, I'm a longtime no Starbucks question. shareholder. Yeah. Uh, it's it's done uh, very well by me. But Dunkin' Brands is one of those companies that's on my watch list. Yeah. That you know, and and I think we talked about this before. That um, you know, you don't need to jump in right at an IPO and and sort of see. Yeah. It's different when you're a public company. Sort of see how uh, the company operates over a couple of quarters to see if they, you know, yeah, what, Chris, what and kind I, of speed bumps they're running into. They'll have headwinds, I think, for a long time as private equity sells yep. shares. So, again so again, I so. should be waiting even longer. I, I'm just kind of neutral on the shares. Yep. Yeah. Enjoy, en- enjoy shopping there. I, I will. And there are different <laughs> point. There are different points too. So, so Duncan is really trying to escape from the East Coast kind of, you know, um, heart. Of their business, oh, yeah. trying to expand. Where Starbucks is, they're all over the place. Now they're going international and global. So, um, you know, interesting. I have a, I had a friend of mine, a good family friend of ours, who um, used to own gas stations, and they used to have Dunkin' Donuts up in the Northeast, Chris, up oh, yeah. in the main area in Massachusetts, and they used to have Dunkin' Donuts in the gas stations. Still do. He, well, they still do, and he <laughs> just said they are the best business because they just are cash cows for the for the um, gas shop owners. So that's that's, that's one. Sorry, one thing, Andy. Sorry, that, that one thing. Uh, shareholders or prospective shareholders can watch is Duncan's moving in, into the West rapidly yep. right now, all, all across the West, New Mexico, and also China, Germany, and Spain. My sister, so. who is lives in L.A. and is a Duncan fiend, she, every time she comes back to the East, she must just load up on donuts <laughs> and Duncan coffee. She's so happy that they're coming into the West Coast. And finally, shares of Open Table falling this morning after a weak earnings report. This is a company that helps customers make restaurant uh, reservations online. Um, it's the first time since going public two years ago that the results did not beat expectations. Uh, Andy, it's a recommendation uh, of the Motley Fool. What what's going on? Well, it's a recommendation, and then we have one of our services that wrote some puts on it, which means that they were looking for the shares to go yeah, down. They bought um, some puts. I'm sorry, bought yeah, they bought some puts and looking for the shares to go down. So um, there's a little a very That's, good, That seems healthy, to have worked out today. It has worked out for them, um, uh, Special Ops. It's, it's, um, it's, uh, there's a very good, healthy conversation going on in the membership base about um, shares of Open Table. Obviously not doing well today. You know, what's interesting about Open Table is they have this, um, to quote the um, Field of Dreams, um, if you build it, they will come uh, mentality. They, they, they have their enterprise network where restaurants buy their systems and they're into the network and then you can use your app or open table i think i mean i'm, I'm a fan of open table this the software and you can sign up for your reservations um what's interesting is with a lot of high growth companies when they start to see slip-ups we obviously saw this big time with netflix earlier this year yep. the stocks really get get pounded and um we're seeing this a little bit in open table some of their growth is starting to slow and some of the concerns of what um, investors are expecting um and what from what based on what management said with the um seated diner growth going down and the revenue per diner Starting to fall, so that when you start to see that for high growth companies with high multiples and really good expectations, um, investors will start slashing the stock. Let me just ask a, a basic question because I'm a luddite. I have a, a cell phone because my wife bought it for me. Um, <laughs> it seems to me I would just call up a restaurant. What, what is the, the advantage to Open Table, and what is their profit? How do they make money on, on doing this? Well, 
as a as a frequent user of OpenTable, right. it's an app on the iPhone. Mm-hmm. Say you last minute din- dinner reservations, you just open the app. It'll show you all the restaurants within whatever a five mile radius of where you are and whether they have any open tables. And you just click, and it makes your reservation. So, so it's don't quick, have to call easy. them all one by one. Exactly. And, and you can search. It's, it, it, there's rating systems. You're part of a part of a community, part of a network. So who is the primary competition here? Because earlier this year, Google bought. Uh, Zagat, the, the the restaurant yeah. and hotel review company, um, it, it would seem as though um, if Google just if if Larry Page, the CEO, woke up tomorrow and just decided, yeah, I think I want to take out Open Table, they would certainly have the pockets to do that. Is is Google considered? Uh, a competitor here? Well, I think any company that has a, a large member and a large active following, um, I mean, you could throw Facebook in there, Google, you can throw um, Groupon. The interesting story about today's news uh, for um, Open Table is the fact that they closed their daily deal business, which got a lot of yeah. publicity yeah. over the last year. So they closed that down. They said, we're not going to do those daily deals anymore, which kind of gives a little bit of, a, um, I think, concerns to investors in general about the, the um, excitement around daily deal businesses. Um, but any, any company company that has that member base that they can mine into, that they can that they can um, go out there and offer an offering like um, table reservations is considered a competitor. Yeah, but OpenTable has fairly good network effects taking place yeah. now. They, they're connected to 16,000 restaurants, and maybe number two is Urban Spoon's ResBook, and they have just 1,000 restaurants hooked up to their system. So when you have that many uh, restaurants depending on you for incremental reservations... They That's take a, a, good sign. a fee, a percentage fee, if yeah, I spend so, 100 bucks at a restaurant. So they have two businesses. They have the upfront enterprise where you have the system, but then they are, are actually starting to – so you basically, as a restaurant tour, you buy the system and you, you buy into the network, mm-hmm. and then they, they get compensated based on the signups for the reservations as well. But then they also have a new lower uh, non-enterprise um, system, which is like a web app, so you can just sign up through um, – Open tables um, web system, so you don't have to pay, you don't have to make the huge upfront payment into the system because I think Resbook does a lot of that. They they're much lighter. They they depend on the cloud. They're kind of more yep. um, a little bit lighter. You don't have to pay for the uh, enterprise fee to join Resbook. And then Open Table gets gets paid per diner. Yeah, actually, yeah, okay. It's, I really like the business model of yep. this company actually, and it's free cash flow positive, and it's you know kind of low cost it's yeah i think any effect. young company like this goes through these phases we're going to see it any company that comes public and open tables a relatively young company they're going to go through these spurts where the shares get bid up there's a lot of excitement around their great business can be very profitable lots of growth ahead competitors start coming in investors get a little concerned maybe the financial the growth either slows down or some of the financial metrics maybe don't quite look as good and um, investors start getting rid of the shares uh, it is National Start Eating Healthy Day, speaking of Dunkin' Donuts and <laughs> restaurants. Um, James, I'll start with you, and this seems like a softball pitch for you to just hit out of the park, but do you have a healthy eating tip sure, for our the listeners? Key, the key thing is to make each change one habit at a time, lock it down so you automate it. If you're using willpower, it's going to be very, very difficult. So three things, no, no processed food, uh, tons of greens, and then keep carbs to under 200 grams per day. But the main thing is just... Do one thing at a time until you don't have to think about that one thing. Then move on to the next thing. Jeff? Popcorn. Popcorn? It's very healthy food, popcorn. Yep. How is popcorn a healthy food? It's full it's corn. of minerals, protein. <laughs> Salt, yeah. butter? No, no, no. Well, go, that's the go, thing. James will agree with me, too. Teeth, for yeah. your teeth. It's but bad for your teeth. If you, if you buy the kernels and make it yourself at home, 
and don't add much butter or salt. It's it's healthy. Yeah. Microwave that that's garbage. Yeah, don't stay away from that stay stuff. Right? Okay, so you're going old school. Yeah. All right, Andy, what about you? Uh, for me, it's um, it, I think portion control. Um, so many of our portions at so many restaurants have gotten just so huge. Even you go to Whole Foods, you can get, you know you get that salad plate, and it can be you can load up with a lot of that stuff from the from the hot bar. And I love Whole Foods. Um, <laughs> that's true. So what, they just made those larger too. Yeah, they, they just so I always get the larger. You know, inside. everything supersized that whole nine yards. So really watch your. Watch your portion control. When I go to the salad bar, I actually get the smallest one they have and just pack it full. As Aren't much you as starving I can. in like forty-five minutes? Though, well, or it depends on what you pack it with. You can point, actually pack. Point. That's my whole idea. Is like when you take a plate, like for Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is around the corner. Mm-hmm. Don't feel you have to stuff the entire plate full of food. Like start slow. Watch your portions. And then go back for seconds. And then go back for <laughs> seconds and lots of Dunkin' Donuts. Andy Cross, Jeff Fisher, James Early. Guys, thanks for being here. Thank you, Chris. Thanks, Chris. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. 